the Fertility Podcast is here to help you understand more about your fertility and for the last eight years has published a lot of conversations with experts and people sharing their stories. It's now going back to its roots, giving you people's lived experiences once again to give you comfort in knowing there's a community of people who get it so you find commonality, be inspired and know you're not alone. Started by me, Natalie Silverman, a former patient, once I was pregnant after fertility treatment, I later joined forces with Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant, who is now your host. And here she is. Hi, how you doing? Hope all is good with you. So we're back for another episode of the podcast. And before we start talking about the guests that we've got today, I just want to tell you a few things that are going on in fertility land. So there's been quite a lot actually happened um, this last week. The first thing to tell you about, if you haven't already found it, is that the HFEA, so the Human Fertilization and Embryology Association, who are our UK regulator for um, all clinics and everything to do with fertility, they have just launched uh, a new dashboard which shows customizable information on fertility treatments, birth rates, egg freezing, and thawing information. Um, and you can kind of look at this information, these fertility trends by type of treatment, by age and location. So it's a really amazing resource. And it's actually the first time the UK has had this type of information available literally at our fingertips. And what's even more incredible is it holds 30 years worth of information. So what a great resource. So I've actually posted on my Instagram feed. So go and take a look at that because it also um, directs you to the link where you can um, find out more about it as well. And there's also a helpful video to help you navigate the, the dashboard. So I hope that you find that information useful. The next thing to tell you is very exciting news is our lovely friend, both personally and of the podcast, Becky Cairns, you may well know as Defining Mum on Instagram. Um, Becky, who also works with Natalie and is one of the co-founders, along with Claire at Fertility Matters at Work, has become the new CEO of Fertility Network UK, our fertility charity in the UK, which is super exciting. But I'm so pleased with Becky because she's just the perfect person to be at the helm of Fertility Network UK. So I wish her all the success. And I'm sure if you know Becky or know of her, you'll join it with me as well. So it's going to be so exciting to see all the great work um, that Becky does going forward with Fertility Network UK um, and all the exciting things that are going to come out of there. So that's two bits of exciting news from the world of fertility. But today we're going to be talking to, well, we're going to be talking about IVF and donor conception, and it's actually a patient story. So we're going to be joined by the lovely Gemma, and Gemma is going to be talking about her IVF process and the decision that she made to decide to look at donor conception, which is really typical when we're talking about donor conception um, and I've just talked about Becky because that's exactly the route to parenthood that Becky took to conceive her three lovely children. So a good segue, a good segue into today's um, guest. But Gemma's going to be telling us 
what it was like for her to go through the other process and how she made the decision to go through gender conception, which she's just literally embarking on now. And hopefully Gemma's going to be sharing her journey with us. So we're going to be hearing from Gemma as we go through the next few episodes of the podcast. So hopefully um, we can follow her journey a little bit. So without further ado, let's get on with today's episode and bring Gemma in. Hi, Gemma. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. And you had to remind me, and I feel really bad, that I actually saw you as a patient back in 2019. Um, sadly, although I try really hard, I can't always remember faces. I often yeah. remember names, and I did certainly remember your name, but I would never have been able to put a face to it. But it's lovely that you are happy to come on the podcast and talk about your fertility journey and including the fact that actually you've now decided to look at donor conception. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to um, today to understand a little bit about your fertility journey to date. And then we're going to follow you through, which I'm really excited about. So what we're going to be doing is Every now and again, Gemma is going to be giving us a little bit of an update on how things are going for her as she navigates the donor conception journey. And we'll be putting that onto the episodes of the podcast. So you'll be able to follow through Gemma's journey, hear what's going on for her. And if you're thinking about donor conception, then this might be really helpful for you. So keep tuned and we will be popping on lots of different episodes and lots of updates from Gemma over the next weeks and months depending on how things go so but before we do all of that let's get started then Gemma so do you want to just tell us a little bit about your fertility journey and really what's been going on for you over the last few years yeah so my husband and I started trying to conceive in July 2019 and then we tried we tried obviously nothing was happening then kind of six months later because I was over 35 I went to the doctor's um, had all my initial blood tests, everything came back absolutely fine. My husband had a seam analysis that came back absolutely fine as well. Then obviously we tried ovulation predictor kits. That's when I started using OvuSense. And that's when I had initial consultation with you. That's right. Um, I used OvuSense for about over well over a year and I was ovulating every single month, but nothing still was happening. Um then obviously I contacted my doctor again and said still nothing's happening. That was in the August, but then obviously COVID hit as well in oh, between yeah. that. So of COVID course. was 2020. So actually, as soon as the clinics decided to reopen, I actually booked, instead of waiting on the NHS, I had um, some private tests. So I had a, my Hokosi, had an ultrasound scan and everything was all clear. There was nothing, no problems. My AMH was slightly low on the low side, but there was no, no other problems. Then also went back to my doctors and then they started, they referred me to the hospital and I got my funding through in December, uh, December 2020. So pretty quick. Yeah, that was quite quick, actually, was it? Especially after with the, all the COVID delays and everything. That's actually quite good. Yeah, so obviously the, the hospital couldn't do any more because they basically said I had unexplained infertility. Then I started, I had two NHS cycles on the NHS. 
Um, so I started my first one in April 2021, which was um, which was not the best in the world. So yeah. I had like basically I had really low MH. Got I'm a poor responder, and oh, I've got gosh. really low follicle count. Yeah. So yeah. I had two eggs collected, um, and one didn't fertilize at all. One fertilized, but it wasn't correctly fertilized. So that yeah. was over with. My yeah. first NHS cycle was over with. Uh, then on August 2021, I had my second NHS cycle, but unfortunately no eggs were collected whatsoever. So obviously that's, that would all finished. So then we started looking at other options um, abroad, like abroad UK, because, you know, obviously my, my circumstances, my low MH, from my age, my poor follicle count, I mean, the most follicles I've ever had is six yeah. in total. So we decided to do some extra tests. And actually, we got my husband tested for DNA fragmentation. Right. And we found out he had 70% of his sperm was was had fragmentation. And this was abroad? This is a testing you had abroad? Had here. You had the DNA fragmentation testing um, here, but you were going through IVF abroad yeah. at that point? Yeah, no, okay. we weren't. So this was, um, so this was in November. So we had to say October, November time of 2021. Mm. So obviously all my husband's samples were all normal. But we had then, we decided before we did any more cycles, we, we decided to do the DNA fragmentation test. And it came back that 70% of his sperm was fragmented. So none of those IVF cycles would have worked with standard IVF. Then we had to go see a top Mr. Ramsey in London is which he's a urologist and luckily his he had an infection which luckily was fixed and that's great and and with DNA fragmentation testing for anyone that's not familiar with it um it is a, a an extra test it is you, it is only accessed privately and sometimes when you do a DNA fragmentation test you might find that there's DNA fragmentation but not necessarily have a reason for it and that can be really frustrating because it could be environmental for example or could be due to lifestyle so you don't necessarily get a reason but on some occasions you can be identified that you have an infection and that can be easily treated and it's an infection that isn't normally picked up for men generally so when you get that treated that can make a significant difference can't it? Yes it can and obviously you know no and no clinic suggested this to us nobody did we just we just decided before we we embarked on IVF abroad which we did decide to go to IVF abroad you know no one suggested this to us whatsoever um, and and that's sadly is commonplace um particularly with the nhs because like i mentioned it's a it's a technically it's a dna fragmentation it's an ivf add-on really so it's not something you would be offered on a standard um nhs protocol but it's a shame that it's not mentioned so that you can then make that decision and we have talked about dna fragmentation testing on a number of different episodes throughout the podcast so i'll make sure that i link those as well so you can have a little listen um, if you're interested yeah. to understand a bit more about it. Sorry, yeah. carry on, Gemma. Yeah, so we looked at, I looked at clinics here. I looked at clinics in London who specialise in women over the age of 38, because I was like 38 by that time, you know, women with low MH. But obviously, we just, there was a couple we, we decided for. And then I then looked at clinics abroad. 
we probably had too many consultations abroad, but I had nine different clinics. I had consultations in nine different clinics abroad. And with, with lots of time and effort, we decided to go for one in Spain. Um, and yeah, so then we started our first round in January um, 2022. Because of my diagnosis and almost my husband's diagnosis, obviously we needed um we needed we needed max as well which is basically like a high you know cell sorting sperm sorting sample which is included abroad which here you pay two thousand pounds more for a cycle um Mm. for the first so we did that for the first um for the first four cycles i did i did egg banking so my eggs were collected. And then the first two cycles, I did something called a dual stimulation round, where I'd mm-hmm. had two IVF cycles in one month. Um, wow, that's hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was in Spain for four months. I was in Spain for a whole month. Right. Um, so yes, yeah, so we did, I did four egg banking rounds. And I got, um, out of those four, I got eight mature eggs. And then in May, so this was obviously I did did I did uh, I did two cycles in January, obviously two. Then I did another one in March, and then I did another one in. So I basically had a month off each one. So I did a, had a month off. Then I did another one. Then I did another one. Yeah. Then in May I did my final um, final one, and this is when the problem started because obviously I had loads of I had eight mature eggs, which was wonderful. We had we did Max as well, and obviously they all fertilized. And then, unfortunately, apart from one, all seven arrested on day four. Oh, gosh, Gemma, what a nightmare. So I, had, I did have one transferred, and that was obviously was negative. That was a poor, poor quality embryo. So then all those seven embryos that I worked for four cycles have just all vanished. Yeah. Oh, Gemma, that must have been devastating. Yeah, because obviously I was getting the eggs. I was getting the quality was well, they were mature. Yeah, you know, but obviously something else was going on. So my egg so you probably quality. Felt, you probably felt so hopeful given your poor experiences in the UK, and then things were looking on paper so much better. But then the end result actually not. Yeah, and on day the day three update, they were really good. They were really good quality, and they just didn't. They just stopped growing. So then we saw a nutritionist in the UK. Um, to see if we can help with, because obviously I was taking loads of supplements anyway, but to see if there's anything else we can do. Mm. Um, we also had extra testing at the clinic, so I had like karyotyping tests, making sure our chromosomes were okay. Um, I did another cycle in August, um, 2020, yeah, um, last year. Um, again, you know, the eggs collected, but we had a standard IVF cycle this time, so we didn't do egg banking. Um, Again, the fertilization rate wasn't as good, but we had one transferred. And again, that was negative as well. So you've gone through all of this, all this disappointment and trying with your own eggs. At what point did you think we need to be thinking about something different here? We are delighted that this episode of the Fertility Podcast is sponsored by our friends at One Day Tests. 
Whether you're thinking about starting a family or are already trying to conceive, getting a blood test can be a really powerful tool to support you on your fertility journey. And let's face it, we all know that it's a journey that could be fraught with challenges and uncertainty. However, doing a blood test is really straightforward and everything you need is in the box. I've just done one and it's so simple. You press the lancet firmly down on your fingertip and gently massage your finger to allow the drops of blood to collect in the collection tube. Then you pop it back in the post. It's so simple. And getting a blood test done with one day tests can really help shed a light on things that can affect your fertility, such as your egg reserve levels, hormone imbalances and other possible issues, for example, PCOS. More importantly, fertility blood tests can give you the insight to what you need and can empower you to take the most impactful next steps in your fertility journey. It will really help you take the guesswork out. One day tests offer a large range of fertility related blood tests for both men and women at really affordable prices. It's super flexible and can customize your test and have it done at one of their nine clinic locations. Or if you're far away, don't worry, you can do it in the comfort of your own home using their home testing kits. Results are returned quickly with an easy to understand description, which you can access online and download to share with your healthcare practitioner. So to find out more, visit onedaytest.com and you as a podcast listener can get a 10% discount by entering the code TFP10. So thank you to One Day Tests. They're really giving you the power to manage your health and your fertility. I'd always, donor was always on my mind, but I wanted, I'm that person who wants to try absolutely everything. I get that. I often talk to my patients about the fact that you need to close the door on plan A before you can open it on plan B. You need to do everything you possibly can with your own eggs because they're your genetics. And then when you're going, we consider donor conception, it's actually making that decision and being aware of the loss of your own genetics. And that's hard to get through, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And my clinic was was still okay. They were like, Gemma, you know, you're still okay to try your own eggs. So I wanted to try something different because I've been on the same protocol for those five cycles. So I wanted to try some different meds. So they mixed it up and said, right, we'll try this. She'll say she'll get the same results. You'll get the same outcome. You'll get the same number of eggs. But by this point, I had lots of cancel cycles, like later in the last, late last year, because I'd cyst. My yeah. FSH level was really high mm. and they wanted it to be lower. Um, and my follicle count was depleting fast. So by this stage, you know, where I'd had sure. six follicles, I'd now had two or two or three mm. over both sides. So I did my, so I carried on. I'd wanted to try this last cycle with this new protocol. So my last IVF cycle was in January this year. I went ahead with it. I thought, you know what, I might as well try. I only had, it was my worst cycle. I only had one yeah. follicle. I, I had yeah. two actually at baseline, but I one that one disappeared. I went yeah. I went ahead with it. I had, I, they checked before egg collection. So I had the still had follicle there. And unfortunately, when they retrieved the egg, it was chromosomally abnormal. Right. So it couldn't yeah. be fertilized. Yeah, yeah. And then basically my doctor gave me that choice. She didn't give me a choice. She said, Gemma, we said, we can't, we're not treating you anymore for your own eggs. Yeah. 
yeah. the journey's yeah. over. So that decision got taken out of my hands. Having that decision taken out of your hands, did that help make the decision to move forward with donor conception or did it make you feel worse? How did that feel? Um, it was a bit of both really because obviously I was getting to that stage like my head was telling me one thing and my heart was telling me something else yeah. and during that life cycle I knew this wasn't going well and I knew if if the only one follicle I had was chromosomally abnormal then there's there was no hope mm. I knew you know I knew that but I wanted to give it a try give but actually, a try. then someone telling you no, you've got to stop. We're not treating you anymore. Yeah. That forces it, that decision. It does. It's, it's quite final, isn't it? It's quite final being told that. So then you obviously had to think about donor conception. And I guess it's, a, as I mentioned, it's that loss of your genetics and it's yeah. perhaps learning to rewrite or redefine your fertility journey. How, how have you gone through that process? Tell us about the steps that you've gone to feel okay with donor conception yeah so obviously my doctor spoke to my doctor spoke to me about it obviously the day after because they called me in after the day after their collection to talk about it or just tell what's happened and then obviously she said you know whenever you're ready just contact the clinic and actually it wasn't until three months later that my mental health really really went downhill Mm. um because I had done six rounds of IVF in a year. It's a lot. And, and I hadn't dealt with any of the trauma. Right. My idea was getting over the trauma was doing another IVF cycle. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, really, thank you for mentioning that, because that's a really good thing to think about, isn't it? It's like, it's, it, it's almost like, right, that, that hasn't worked. And often if you don't deal with the fact that it hasn't worked and you go, right, next one, and you see it more more transactionally rather than actually thinking I've lost an embryo there and that embryo could have been a baby and it's 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 actually thinking of it in that way isn't it and and allowing yourself the opportunity to grieve for that loss because you're grieving for what could have been aren't you at that point but I understand what you're saying and you're not alone so many women do that it's like right that that's failed right next one yeah. And it's not giving yourself the opportunity. So when that hit then, that must have been really hard. Yeah, it was because obviously, you know, it affected, you know, it affected. And it's, I'm still on the end of it now. So of I've course. had counselling. Um, I had obviously counselling through my work. Um, it was affecting my job as well. Um, it affects everything. It affects your job. It affects your relationships, you know, with your partner, with your family, with your friends, yeah. because you take yourself out, don't you? You you yeah. become quite absent in a lot of those yeah. relationships while you're dealing with this. Yeah. And it was the trauma dealing with, you know, just everyday life. It was just hard, like all everyday stresses. Yeah. Was just, you know, and obviously also the effects of, you know, you've got this to deal with and, you know, and all the money you've spent as well. Yeah. On the yeah. on the rounds of IVF. Now Spain is a lot cheaper than the UK. So, you know, but you've still you've got that as well. Yeah. Um, so it's the financial impact, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the well financial as, impact. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's so much, as well as the grief, the loss, the, the financial impact, the the as we mentioned, the loss of a social life, the loss of being able to eat what you want, drink what you want. There's all those things that are just huge. Yeah. So 
my husband had this thing about taking 90 days off. So we took 90 days off and that passed. And actually I was quite enjoying just not doing an IVF cycle Mm. and just not doing anything else and not thinking about treatment at all. Mm -hmm. Because I've just, say I've spent two years doing I you know just solid IVF doing eight Mm. rounds in two years Mm. that's all that's all I've ever known and then it got to a stage where I was like I think I would have not bothered contact the clinic but I think it get I think sometimes you just got to take that leap of faith and you've just got to do it I think it's the initial wasn't it the initial thought of doing it yeah is is harder actually than actually doing it doing it absolutely yeah so the end of August I contacted my 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 personal assistant and then within like a week I was actually on holiday which actually helps we went away for three weeks in the summer which actually oh, really wonderful. helps <laughs> where did yeah. you go went to Portugal oh lovely so three so weeks in the sun yeah for three weeks mm. not obviously linked to IVF which is brilliant so yes yeah, mm. so we contacted the clinic and then uh, we had a consultation with my doctor um, and then we saw the obviously we have to have a implications counseling session with the count with the psychologist so we had that done um end of august and it's all been as i say like as i say it's not much happened since we've had a few tests done so we went over to spain the end of september um, my husband has a genetic test you can have done so you and the donor so the donor and my husband doesn't have any genetic diseases that are sure. carriers of anything yeah and then, yeah, so then we've had all our tests done at the doc. Luckily, my GP was very kind and got all my up-to-date testing done for us. Great. Um, so, yeah, we're just currently, where we are currently is waiting for a donor match. Okay. Okay. So that's um, where you are. So that's where we are. But as so, I said, it's been very kind of, you know, n- nothing's been happening at the moment. So it's kind of, I'm not really thinking about it too much. It's not like in the back of my mind. And is that a nice place to be again? A little bit like those 90 days that you had. Is it a nice yeah. to be, especially, you know, as we're recording this, we're recording this just before Christmas. Is it? Does it seem like the right time to have a little bit more of a reprieve? Yes, it does. Yeah, because obviously yeah. last Christmas, like I was, you know, trying to do another cycle before Christmas. And obviously that didn't happen. And I think the Christmas before, and I was about to start my, you know, my first IVF cycle and over overseas. So just every single Christmas, it's just been the wait. And I suppose I suppose I'm still waiting. <laughs> of course, <laughs> for you that are. donor match. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. And the donor conception thing. I mean, it's not what I, I don't think anybody wants to choose that route nobody's chosen nobody chooses that route you know we tried naturally that didn't work and then you have to like move your goalposts you know then the IVF didn't work unfortunately and you know I don't think anyone who chooses this route that's their first choice but adoption's not for us at all okay Um, yeah you've just you've just got to adjust you just got to accept really, isn't it? And that acceptance, as I said, it's taken us 10 months yeah. of no treatment, like, you know, to decide on that. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't come quickly, does it? But it is absolutely possible. And as I mentioned, it's, it's almost rewriting, redefining what your fertility journey looks like. And, and, you know, before we, when we're little girls, perhaps we're thinking, yes, you know, traditionally we'll kind of get married, we'll have 
2.4 children and it'll all happen naturally and it's suddenly the realization that actually that isn't your journey and your journey is going to look different I always like to think of and I I have to admit it's not my own I did read it somewhere about um, thinking about donor conception a bit like um, a blueprint of a house and 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 the re- reason I think about it as a blueprint you know, a bit like the architect's drawings of a house so that's your your donor egg so that's predetermined you've got the predetermined genetics but I don't know whether Gemma you've heard about epigenetics yeah yes you have good you're nodding she's she's heard of <laughs> yeah, yeah. but for people that haven't heard about epigenetics epigenetics is this really interesting field of evidence and medicine that that was kind of made popular more popular in like the 1980s and it's where with epigenetics that that we have the ability to switch on and off certain genes. So for example, in utero, you have a donor egg and you as the mother have the ability to turn on and off particular genes so that you actually do influence how that baby turns out. Because there's always this worry, isn't there, that, um, okay, well, is the baby going to have dark hair or blonde hair you know whatever obviously you can choose to a certain extent Mm. but there are characteristics that you think how many of those are going to come from the the donor egg and of course a lot of that genetics does but having the ability to turn on and off certain genes and knowing that you are influencing how that child turns out is a really positive thing isn't it yes it is yeah 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 yeah, and so is, like the, the the blueprint of a house, you have the architect's drawings, that's genetic egg, but you decide when you move into that home where you want to put curtains or blinds, whether you're going to carpet a floor, what colour you're going to paint your door, your front door, you know, all of those things you decide and have the ability to influence. And that's exactly the same with the donor egg, which I find really reassuring. And when I talk to my patients about it, they find that knowledge reassuring. So that's where you are now. Yeah. You're kind of looking forward to what 2024 is going to bring. Yeah. Um, getting your donor match. Do you have any idea when you might get your donor match? Well, um, we sent all the paperwork off the middle of November. Now, I know someone, I know I've got lots of friends and lots of people who go to my clinic. So a lady, actually, she's a bit full of me, that hers took a month. So I don't know. I've actually emailed them today. So I don't know whether I'll hear anything before Christmas because obviously, you know, in Spain, they... They do the the clinic doesn't always open all over Christmas, so yeah. So I'm hoping I've ordered all my medication as well. Great. So that's all good to go. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but she waited a month for obviously for dark blonde hair, blue eyes. It's a yeah. bit of a longer wait in Spain. Yes, of course. Then yes. obviously because my my other friend who had her donor egg baby in August. Um, who actually had her own egg cycle with me as well. So we met in Spain. Oh. She um, she only waited a week because she's got dark hair. Dark hair. <laughs> yeah, so, so yes, yeah, just a little bit, just a bit of a longer wait, but that's fine. But yeah, um, yeah, the reason we, we've kept my clinic is because they have been amazing. And I know the own egg journey wasn't, but they've tried everything they could. Great, absolutely. And now you are where you are. Well, what would be great, Gemma, is to perhaps speak to you again when you've got your donor match through. And then that will be an exciting time and you can tell us all about the next steps. So I really look forward to hearing more. Um, But thank you so much, Gemma, for sharing your journey to date with us on the podcast. 
And I know that's going to be so interesting for many people that, you know, potentially are in the same situation as you or potentially facing the fact that they need to start thinking um, about donor conception. And, and perhaps we can talk a little bit more about donor conception and what that means for you as a family going forward as well on, on later um, yeah. episodes. But yeah. but thank you so much for sharing your story. And we look forward to hearing more very soon. Thank you. Thanks so much to Gemma for sharing her fertility story to date. That's been so interesting. And we're going to do a bit more of a deeper dive into making her decision about donor conception and the kind of thought process that she went through. So do stay tuned. We're obviously going to be getting regular updates from Gemma as the weeks progress as well. So in every episode, there will be something most likely from Gemma. Um, so keep tuned and you'll be able to follow that. And I really hope that if you are thinking about donor conception, that you're going to find this interesting um, to help you perhaps navigate through this um, and to be a little bit more informed. If there are any other journeys that you'd like us to follow, because I think this is a great idea, then let me know and we'll get onto it because so many different journeys and different routes to parenthood are unique. So if there's something that you particularly like to hear about, even if it's just hearing about what happens in an IVF cycle and following somebody through that, then we can do that too. So let me know. But one thing to mention that Gemma and I did talk about offline, if you are thinking about donor conception, is where you can go for help. And she's found two places fantastic. One is Donor Conception Network, which she, she is massively involved with, and also the great support that Becky Cairns offers through defining Path to Parenthood Hub. And I will put the links for all of those in the show notes so that you can have um, you can follow the links through and find information to support your donor conception journey. Anyway, we're back in two weeks with another great episode and an update from Gemma. So we'll speak to you then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fertility Podcast, which is brought to you by Natchat Productions. The music is composed by Parla. It's hosted by Kate Davis. And the episodes are put together by Ella Woodhouse and exec produced by me, Natalie Silverman. Before you click onto your next podcast, we'd love it if you could either click on the star ratings or write a quick review, as it's a brilliant way for others to know what you think. And even just hitting follow or subscribe really helps other people know it's worth a listen. Finally, just to say, you can follow the podcast on Insta at Fertility Poddy. Kate is at your fertility nurse. And if you'd like to book in a consultation with Kate to understand more about your fertility and reproductive health, just visit yourfertilityjourney.com. <laughs>